0: Good morning. Uh, if you did have missed it, my name is Joe Johnson. I'm the campus minister with RUF at Mississippi State, which many of you know because this is one of the longest supporting um, and prayerful churches of that ministry. But if you don't, that is the campus ministry of this church's denomination. And so I am this Presbytery's, this church's pastor to that campus. And I uh, will brag this morning I think I have the best job in the world. Uh, I love Mississippi State. I love Mississippi State students. I love seeing God work in them and through them. And I think I can speak on behalf of all the campus ministers in the country that we really do have the front row seat to the future of the church. Uh, That when I sit down with my leaders of RUF and we talk about this upcoming semester that starts in two weeks uh, and we think about who we want to reach and what events are we going to do and how is this ministry going to run, I get to see 19, 20, 21-year-olds think about their friends longing them to know Jesus, making decisions for the ministry that I hope one day in churches as leaders, as Sunday school teachers, as deacons, as elders, they get to continue that thought and the future of the church is bright. And so thank you for your support, your prayers, uh, your love for that ministry. I see many of y'all at baseball games and football games and uh, many of y'all call and ask how things are going and I love that. Uh, So thank you. Um, It's good to be here for many different reasons. I hate, uh, for the circumstances though, I think I got a call Friday night when I was stuck at DFW airport um, from Dr. Scholl asking if I can come preach and I hoped I could and I got here yesterday, uh, thankfully, Uh, but I hate the circumstances. Dr. McKelvey uh, is one of my favorite uh, seminary professors that I had uh, one by time in RTS. I love him even though he is an Alabama fan, but Jesus tells me to love even Alabama fans. Um, But we were praying for him. We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning, if you have your Bibles. John chapter 6. I know I'm interrupting a little bit of a couple of series, 1st John and uh, the Ten Commandments, but we're going to look at the first I am statement that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John. Seven times in the Gospel of John, debatably eight, uh, Jesus makes a statement about himself that begins with the words, I am. I am the bread of life, which we're going to look at this morning. I am the resurrection in life. I am the way and the truth in the life, and on and on and on. And when Jesus says those statements, he did not say them the way I just said, I am Joe Johnson. I am the campus minister at Mississippi State. Uh, He says something a little more bold. Uh, I'm not a Greek scholar at all, but I know enough to say this. The Greek behind these two words, I am, is fascinating. Because the Greek behind it, representing those two words, I am, actually are two words that mean the exact same thing. They both mean I am. So if we were to translate this literally, Jesus is saying, I am, I am the bread of life. I am, I am the resurrection in life. I am, I am the true vine. And that's not Jesus misspeaking. That's not the writer of the gospel's misunderstanding. That is Jesus saying something incredibly shocking that I would assume would leave every mouth open that we're listening to him that day. Because what Jesus is saying is he's harking us back to Exodus 3, when Moses, being called by God, that theophany in front of him with the burning bush, saying, go back to Pharaoh, lead my people out, and the scared Moses asked the question, who should I say sent me? In other words, who are you? And how does God answer that? I am that I am. I am who I am. I am I am. It's the only way God can introduce himself, right? The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the creator, the sustainer. I am simply who I am. And when Jesus says, I am, I am the bread of life, this is what he's really saying. I am God. Now let me tell you what I'm like. I'm like bread, the bread of life that came from heaven. So with that in mind, let's begin reading. We're going to be in John chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Um, It's a longer passage, so bear with me. I see Dr. McKelvey only had one verse scheduled for today, so I'm upping that by a few. I'm going to read to verse 51. This is God's word this morning. And when they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal, Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who was sent. So they said to him, then what signs do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. And gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God, and everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we are your people. This is your word and we desperately need it. And so as we look and consider Jesus, you the bread of life, help us to see you more clearly and find you more beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you could think back to your last first date, your last first date that you were on. For some of us, it wasn't that long ago. For others of us, we might have to think back a few years of that last time you were in a restaurant, nervous, sitting across from somebody that you didn't know, wondering, could this be the one? I love first date stories. Uh, it's my, one of my favorite parts of my job is hearing my students' first dates, whether they go well or poorly. They're always pretty humorous. And my wife and I, when we go on our dates in Storkville, uh, we're surrounded by college students on dates in those restaurants. And one of our favorite games to play is who in this restaurant is on a first date? And we can usually find it pretty quickly because it's typically the conversation going the worst in the restaurant. It's usually the guy sweating, nervous, stuttering. The girl might drop spaghetti on her pretty dress. It's usually pretty obvious who's on a first date. And my wife and I will sometimes stop talking to each other, and start listening in on that table's discussion. (laughs) You can judge the health of me and my marriage if you want from that, but we love doing that because first dates are awkward. They are really job interviews. You are interviewing someone for the position of boyfriend, girlfriend, or significant other and possible future spouse one day. But what makes them even more awkward than that is that you're not just interviewing them, but at the same time, they're interviewing you So you have to ask questions to figure out large swaths of information, but then you have to present yourself to them wondering, what should I say? How should I reveal myself? What should I do here? And what typically happens on a first date is something that we call a humble brag, which is usually done by the guy, knowing that he can't sit down in polite society and say something like, I'm really rich. You should want to be with me, but he might be able to get away with this. Do you know what's hard about having a lot of money? What's hard about having a lot of money is you never know if people are being nice to you because they want to know you or because of your money. You know what I'm saying? Sounds weak, sounds vulnerable, sounds humble, but he got his brag across, I'm really rich, you should want to be with me. Because whenever we're trying to attract someone, whenever we're trying to lead an organization, whenever we're trying to go somewhere where we need a group of people to follow us to get there, we need to present ourselves in the best possible light as something worth following as something attractive and so i find it incredibly interesting that when jesus gets to his first i am statement his first declaration of his lordship he begins by comparing himself to bread it's not the most exciting thing in the world it's not even on face cover The most exciting I am statement. I am the resurrection sounds way more exciting. I want to hear about that. But I am bread. But what I hope we can see this morning as we look at this passage together, that Jesus saying that he is the bread of life that came from heaven is the greatest news that we've heard today. Because it means no less than this, that Jesus is the one who came from heaven to give life to his lifeless people. Jesus is the one who came from heaven to give life to his lifeless people. And through the invitation he sends before us is, come and feast. So we walk through this passage, I want us to see two things. I want us to see first, the real hunger that Jesus addresses. Real hunger. And secondly, the real bread that he gives. The real hunger and the real bread. So first, the real hunger. I really have plopped us in the middle of John, and I want to set some context here. Jesus, at the beginning of this chapter, has done two miracles in a row, back to back. And if we were to rank Jesus's top 10 miracles, these would probably be in the top 10, some of the most famous. The first thing that he does at the beginning of John chapter 6 is he feeds 5,000 people from five loaves of bread and two fish. And the text actually says 5,000 men. So we are actually assuming along with their families, this is well more than 5,000 people. Five loaves of bread and two fish is enough for an appetizer for maybe two people. Jesus takes that and feeds a city. And so what is he doing in that miracle? He's taking basically nothing and he's making something. Who can do that? Only God. So Jesus goes from that miracle, feeding 5,000 people, and a great crowd is before him, and they decide to go to the other side of the sea. Jesus does this a lot in his ministry, where he gathers a big crowd, teaches them, does something, and then escapes and moves on to go somewhere else. And this is what he does. But the way he leaves is interesting. His disciples get on a boat. Jesus doesn't. And the disciples set sail, going to the other side of the sea, to another city. Jesus not with them. A storm comes, and they look out at the sea, and they see Jesus doing miracle number two, casually walking on the water. They see him, he gets in the boat, they go to the other side of the sea. But what does he do in that miracle? Jesus is sowing sovereignty over creation. Who can walk on water? Only God can. Only the creator can. So two miracles in a row, where Jesus is doing things that only God can do, and they get to the other side, and a group of people have followed him. A group of people that we presume were fed with the 5,000 have followed Jesus And they come with a question. And the question is, Rabbi, when did you get here? In other words, what they're asking is, how did you do what you just did? You didn't get on the boat. We didn't see you do that. And all of a sudden, you're here. How did you get here? And when Jesus does something that I I love when he does this, he does it so often in the Gospels. He's asked a direct question, and he doesn't answer it. Because Jesus is not concerned with answering these people's questions. He's concerned about their hearts. He goes right for them. And with this confused group of people who are seeing something in Jesus that they're attracted to, but they don't really know what it is yet, what Jesus does is he endures their three bad questions in a row and takes them by the hand and graciously leads them to the right one. And so i want to look at this exchange between the two, where they ask three bad questions. And the first bad question that they ask Jesus is this. Can you give us more bread? Uh, Jesus breathes between the lines where he says, you're not here to find out how I got here are the signs. You're here because you ate yesterday and you want me to do it again. You're here to eat more bread, but you don't need more bread. You're just going to be hungry. You need something that never leaves you hungry again. In other words, these people come with a question of circumstance. Jesus, can you make my day a little bit better? Jesus, can you fill this need that I have? Jesus, can you do this so that we can move on with the rest of our lives? And what Jesus tells them is, you're not asking me for too much, but you're asking me for far too little. That that's actually not your greatest need right now. You need something that never leaves you hungry again. I think if I were to script my prayers... Of everything that I've ever prayed to God. I bet you around 90% of it is me simply asking God to fix a circumstance. And those aren't bad prayers. When he taught his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, he says to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We were to go to him with those requests. But he's pointing out to these people that this is not the central need for your life. This is actually not what you're hungry for. You're hungry for something way more. You are hungry for me. And it makes me ask the convicting question do I ask Jesus for too little in my prayers? When I pray for the church, our church, when I pray for our ministry, when I pray for me and my family and my friends, am I asking Jesus for enough? Or am I simply asking Him to fix things that I don't really want to deal with anymore? Those aren't bad prayers either. But there might be something more I'm hungry for. That no matter where Jesus takes me, no matter what he does, no matter what is allowed in my life, that I would have a heart that's molded and shaped with worship and awe of Jesus. They ask for far too little. And what they get from Jesus is more than they ever could have expected. So the first bad question, they're hungry and they want more. But then the second question comes, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Which I hate to even call this a bad question. It's actually kind of a good question. They see, okay, you're offering a life with God. You're offering something that we need. What do we need to do to get it? And Jesus answers that question in an amazing way, doesn't he? To be doing the works of God is to believe in the one the Father sent. In other words, believe in me. And that is actually not easy believingism. That's not Jesus saying you don't have to do the works of the law. That's not Jesus saying you're all free no matter what you do, just believe in me and you're good. That's actually Jesus telling them to do something harder than what they're looking for. They're looking for a to-do list. They're looking for things that they can accomplish and bring to him so they know they can get this bread of heaven. Jesus is asking them to put all of their life in his hands. To believe in him with everything that we are and everything that we do, to cast our only hope upon him. He doesn't ask for less, he actually asks for way more. Because I think what he sees in them is that they are coming to him on the basis of what they do. And we can do this all the time to come to Jesus on the basis of our works. To come to Jesus saying, Look at the things that I've done, Jesus. Look at the things that I've stayed away from. Look at the things that I've accomplished. Do you love me now? Can I be assured that I'm a real Christian now? And though he longs for us and works in us to be sanctified, to be holy, our status before him is not on the basis of our works, but on his. But there's another way we can come before Jesus with the basis of our works. And it's to actually look at our lives and see sin and shame and failure and even our good deeds that in some part need to be repented of. And we can look at those things with full honesty and fear and say, I can never come to Jesus with this. I need to fix this first. But what Jesus does is he invites all to come, to believe in the one that was sent, and he will cast none of them away. Do we come to Jesus on the basis of our works when he actually calls us to way more than that, to trust him with our whole lives? And then the third bad question comes. And this is by far the worst. They ask him for a sign. Did you see that? They ask him for a sign. Moses gave us a sign. He gave us bread in the wilderness. Where's your sign that we can see it and make sure and then believe in you. And the heavy irony here is that Jesus just gave them two signs. He just fed 5,000 people. He just walked on water and it's as if the crowd is before him saying, One more time to be sure. Can you just do do a trick here so that we can believe in you? And what's interesting about this is they were approaching Jesus with intellectual questions without a heart of faith. They were coming to him for answers to questions, but not coming to him for life. They are confusing the signs with the ones the sign points to. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with students that some go well and some don't go well where they say something like this to me, Joe, I get what you're saying. I get the gospel. I get it. Jesus died, rose again for my sins. I understand. But how do I know it's true? Like, how do I know it really happened? I wasn't there that day. And, and then also, how do I know that this book is true? How do I know it's not another book written by man? And I love those conversations. I love when students are that honest. I love having that. And I will talk to them about science in the Bible or the New Testament, trustworthiness, or whatever they want to talk about. But in those conversations, I try to temper expectations a little bit. And I try to tell them, look, I will, I will talk to you about this. I may know the answers. I may not. I can find someone or a book that does. But I want to tell you my real ambition here is actually not to answer your questions. My real ambition in these conversations is for actually you to meet Jesus face to face in his word, in prayer, in the church, in a community. That all of a sudden when you meet Jesus face to face, when you put your eyes upon him, all of a sudden when you engage him with that kind of faith, all of a sudden those questions don't seem so hard anymore. They come to him with questions but they're not looking at him yet. They're not actually seeing he's the one they long for, that he's the one they need and so finally they ask the right question which is in verse 34. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. I actually sense a little bit of frustration in this. It's almost like exasperated people saying like, I I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus, but I know that you have something that we desperately need. And so give it to us and never stop giving it to us. Because isn't that actually the posture of a Christian? Jesus, give me more, give me more of you. Not the signs, not the stuff, not the food, not the works. Give me more of you and never stop giving us you. Because here's what they finally did. They took their eyes off the stuff and they cast their eyes on Jesus as the one that they are actually hungry for and in need of. What they found was the true hunger in their hearts, which is eternal life with Jesus. Uh, This morning in my office before I got here, I tried to count the references to eternal life in this passage, and and I realized I couldn't do it because almost every sentence that Jesus says here has some sort of reference to eternal life. If you ever want to know what what the main theme of a text is, if something's repeated that much, that's what the text is about. The people were yearning for eternal life. And what is eternal life? How do we explain eternal life? We throw that word around. Our world is finite, everything we know ends. How do we imagine eternal life? Maybe we can at least say this, that what eternal life means for the Christian is that in a billion years, we will lack nothing that we need in Jesus. That in a billion years as his church, we will never cease to be in awe of worshiping him. That in a billion years, Jesus will only become more beautiful to us. What we yearn for in this life is something that never ends is to be his people washed by his blood sanctified by his spirit made holy in him and then made new in the new heavens and new earth and dwell with Him forever that's what we're all hungry for not just the day we were converted but as we grow in our christian faith we long for that day more and more and more we long to see him with unveiled face are we hungry christians this morning Hungry for more of Jesus, hungry to get tastes of that that is to come now, and longing to be home. Are we hungry? We can convince ourselves that there's other hungers that are more important. That if those are fed, then we'll be okay. Jesus is going right to the heart. This is what our soul pants for—the real hunger, a life eternal with Christ. But now we need to talk about the real bread the real bread that Jesus offers. So Jesus leads this sort of exasperated people to this point and they finally ask the right question, sir, give us this bread always and what does Jesus say in return? Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, never believes in me shall never thirst. The I am statement, I am, I am the thing you're looking for. He actually says twice, I am the bread of life. The thing you're hungry for, the thing you need, the thing you're exasperated about, it's me. You're talking to him. But we still have questions, don't we? What does it mean that he's the bread of life? How do we feast upon this bread? Well, Jesus gives us two clarifying comments on what it means that he's the bread of life. And the first clarifying comment he gives us is that he is the bread of life that came from heaven. Did you notice that? He said it two or three times. And that's not Jesus just giving his itinerary statement that that's where I came from and I'm gonna go back in a little bit. That's Jesus again pointing us back to the Old Testament, pointing us back to the time that Moses led them out of Egypt and and toward the promised land. And what happens in between those two moments? 40 years of wilderness wandering. The older I get, the more I stop at, at years and time stamps like that in the Bible. I am 33 years old. God's people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years in a place that human beings are not meant to live. Following a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, unspeakable darkness at night and unbearable heat during the day. I actually preached this passage not that long ago in a church and it was two services in the church and in between the two services I was talking to somebody and he came up to me and said, I was in the military, I was a pilot for a long time, and I flew over where we believe the wilderness wandering would have taken place. And he actually had pictures of it on his phone. And he said, the thing you need to understand about that place is it's not just hard to live there, it is a place that's aggressively trying to kill all life that's there. And the thought that struck him as he saw it, no one should survive in this place, let alone for 40 years. So how do God's people endure? How do we make it through that journey? Only by the grace and provision of God. The God who can bring water from a rock. And the God who gave them what to eat? Bread from heaven. That as the people were complaining, grumbling, there's no food here, we're gonna die. We had it better off in Egypt and slavery. At least we had food there. Where's our food? Moses. Moses prays to God and what does God give them? But manna from heaven, it falls every day. The people collect it and they eat it. And what did the people think the first day the manna fell? The first day they saw this miraculous bread, what did they think? They probably didn't think, I don't really like bread that much. Is there anything else? They probably thought, that is life. That is how I'm going to see tomorrow. That's how my children are going to see tomorrow. That is our hope. That is life in a lifeless place. And what Jesus says is that moment, that moment was about me. That was an exercise in the school of faith in the wilderness to look from life from only God. That Jesus says he's the bread of life. And what does that mean? He is the one who came from heaven in perfect glory, right hand of the Father. He doesn't need his people to be more happy, to be more full. He doesn't need us. And yet, as like an author entering into his whole own story, God became man in order to dwell with us, to eat with us, to teach to us, and ultimately to die for us to raise again, to be ascended into heaven and to sit at the right hand of God again, doing what? Interceding for his people. Jesus entered into a lifeless place in order to give life to a people who could not do it on their own. But here's the catch. Only people who know they're hungry find bread beautiful. Only people who know their need of it will celebrate at its sight. Do we know our hunger for Jesus? Do we know our need of him? Not just the day we were converted, today. Do we see him as the beautiful bread that came from heaven? The second thing about this bread, um, the second clarifying comment is way more shocking that Jesus says, this bread is my flesh actually verse 51. is the last verse that we read. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I think this would probably be the most shocking thing these people heard. They've heard a lot of shocking things so far. But this almost feels like a friend taking a joke too far. This sounds strange, I would assume, to them. It might sound strange to some of us. And Jesus even takes it further later to say, and you also have to drink my blood. So think about these people who've come to Jesus looking for bread so they can eat and move on with their life. And Jesus now sends them away thinking, he just told us to eat his flesh. That was way more than I was ready for. But what does Jesus mean by that? He means this, that this eternal life, this redemption, this gospel, is free for all who come without money coming by. All who come will not be cast out. But this was not costless, but cost him a great deal. That when we do the Lord's Supper together and the pastor lifts that bread and breaks it, he's not saying, let's just celebrate and break bread together. What he's saying is Jesus' words, the night he was betrayed, the day before he died, this is my body broken for you. It's not your body, it's my body. And this is my blood poured out for you. That that is the entrance to eternal life is the son of God coming and giving him all of himself to his people. And he invites us to come and actually enjoy the victory that he won and gifts to his bride. I love uh, food and since moving to Mississippi, I have gained about 15 pounds. Uh, I love restaurants. I love going out to eat with friends. I love those nights that we get there and it's hours, it's, it's until the restaurant closes and we're telling stories and we're laughing. My wife tells me that when I enter into a restaurant, I think my salary is about 10 times more than it is and I just start ordering things left and right. I love those moments. I think it's a little bit of a taste of heaven in those moments and I never want them to end. And at the end of the night when I'm full and can't eat anymore, I hate it because there's more food to be had. And when the restaurant starts turning on its lights, signaling us to leave, I hate it because I want it to keep going. When the bill comes, I hate it. (laughs) I want it to go on forever. Isn't it beautiful that when Jesus presents himself to his people, he talks about himself like a good meal that never ends? A meal to enjoy forever that fills you, that leaves you not wanting. And what does the new heaven and new earth start with? But the wedding supper of the Lamb where we will be at table with Jesus with unveiled face, seeing him. We will be laughing, we'll be eating, we'll be drinking, and it will never end. Because we'll finally be full. We'll finally have every hunger and thirst quenched. Because we'll be with Jesus. What bread can we convince ourselves will fill us up? There's many out there. That we could think about the bread of success. That that resume looks good enough. That if I hit it out of the park, that people love me enough, then I'll be okay, I'll be full, and it'll never be enough. This is it the bread of love. That if I can just be attractive enough, if I can be wanted enough, if I can be needed enough by those around me, then I'll be okay. I'll know my place. It will never be enough. We're looking for the love of Christ. We're looking for the bread of life that doesn't leave his people hungry. Do you see Jesus like that? Let me pray. Father in heaven, I admit I long for other bread. And I eat, and I eat, and I eat, and I only become more hungry. But Jesus, help me, help us to feast upon you, to be united to you, to enjoy our union with you, to become more and more like you. And help us know that, Lord, one day, someday, we will dwell with you forever. Help us long for that. Help us long to get glimpses of it here. Help us long to see our friends and neighbors and loved ones there as well. We pray, Lord, as your hungry people, you fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.